0: General nerdery.
1: As always seems to happen when I have really weirdly long weeks, we didn't plan to. Uh, we are diving back into the Discworld this week, which is great for me because when I get stressed out, few things make me feel better than the Discworld. And it means <sighs> that I get
0: to continue like trying to sell everybody I work with on it. <laughs> it's just.
1: Just fucking gravy for me.
0: They love asking me like what I'm doing for my various podcasts in a certain week, and then subsequently ignore whatever it is I tell them for the most part. Oh yeah! But every time this comes up, it's just another opportunity for me to be like, "By the way, guys, hey. Discworld. <laughs> hey, 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 Discworld. Come on.
1: Uh, so, Discworld on General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. Uh, I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And you probably knew that already. This I is, hope so. This is like episode 50-something. But. I think it's episode 54? 53? 52.
0: We've passed 52. Like a, I
1: just like saying it because comic series. I can't help myself.
0: I'm surprised um, we didn't mention. When, when I was putting up 52, I was like, oh, we didn't even mention 52. That seems like kind of a big number for comics these days. For
1: our one-year anniversary episode, I considered arguing to do One Year Later, which is the series that came immediately mm. after 52. But it was just too broad a subject, and like too weird nerd choice, even for me. Plus, there's fucking there was Star Wars to talk about. There was Star Wars to talk about, and there was Good Omens to talk about, and that is episodes you've already heard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if this is fifty-four, then we can always reference the Car Fifty-four. Where are
1: you? I, I, I don't know what
0: that <sighs> is. It was a old TV sitcom. A uh, cop sitcom that get, then got turned into a movie. Okay, uh,
1: I did not have access to Nick at Night like <laughs> you did. Uh-
0: <laughs> Love me some Car 54, are you? <laughs> anyway, yeah. also not what we're here to talk about. In fact, we're not even going to talk about what we're here to talk about because we have other things to talk about first. Zach, what did you ingest, ingest this week?
1: Mostly Star Wars Rebels, if we're <laughs> being entirely honest. Um, but let's see. We are recording this on January 4th, and my one comic goal for 2020 that I, of course, put off until the final night of 2020 was to read Machine Man 2020 and Iron Man 2020, two bigs. And I'm like, one, I just love these series already, and two, on 2020, I fucking gotta. So it's, you know, the night before New Year's, (laughs) New Year's Eve or the night before that, and I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, I've been saying this for literally a year now. And I sat down and bashed them both out. They're not difficult reads. Uh, Machine Man 2020 by Tom DeFalco. And uh, I don't know who does the layouts, but Barry Windsor Smith did the detail art. So, you know, someone did mm. the, like not quite stick figures, but setting up the panel work and like is what it is. And someone right. else just does the top work over it. Barry Windsor Smith is one of the most gorgeous comic artists of his age. Um And it's about Machine Man, the, like, Jack Kirby creation that spun out of 2001 Space Odyssey comic book. Wakes up in the far-off year 2020! Because this was written in, like, 88, I think? I think it's my age. And it's the kind of post-apocalypse, and oh my god, things are happening! And honestly, their prediction of what people would wear in the year 2020 is Way closer to accurate than I thought it was going to be
0: even five years ago when I read this. Dude, not going to lie, but for the past two years, as I've just been wandering around out in the world and like... Our, uh, is, I'm often caught in groups of people as we have waves of people sweep through our store. Yeah. Fashion's a lot closer to what like... The 80s The 80s and that. the 90s <laughs> and like 90s thought what the future was going to be than... Almost makes me comfortable. Yeah, like, it was
1: a little, I'm like, oh man, that's, I might have seen someone wearing that sweater and bow tie and like newsboy cap. The other, it's also kind of neat though, because it's like, it's everything
0: I used to watch come to life.
1: Well, and it's kind of fun because it is that combo of us said like, you know, newsboy cap and weird kind of old timey stuff with 80s punk. Oh, sure. Yeah bow tie and a mohawk that sounds like a great combination legitimately more power to you mm-hmm. i wish i had done a mohawk when i was a kid and i still had that option now i can kind of do the reverse hawk <laughs> yeah but that's closer to really just Gallagher's. Canyon? yeah that's just closer to like gallagher's hair than anything else like i mean that that's <laughs> fun yeah
0: <laughs> Now yeah. I want to see you go as Gallagher for Halloween. Just going but... for
1: the deep cuts. Okay, if I ever walk up with a hammer and a watermelon, you know what's going down.
0: Dude, I'll be, I'll get excited. <laughs> I'll be the only one knowing what's going on, I think.
1: I had a period of time where I really loved Gallagher, and my dad was, like, supportive of it, because it's a harmless. <laughs> but you could tell it that he was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Is that, at least it's not Carrot Top. Yeah, because he's a prop comedian that explodes ha- watermelons, like, how was that not great? Mm-hmm. God, How I hope is that not great? I really hope that I, he's not like super racist and sexist and I just I didn't notice or something was I don't know. I'm not positive on
0: that. I think I he's dead.
1: Uh but anyways, what have you been?
0: Oh man. Uh, okay, first, I binged through all the new seasonal letter, Kenny. I have not watched it yet. The Hulu app sucks. Um, Hulu is fine. The app sucks. I finished Queen's Gambit. The chess one? Yes. Okay. I don't know if i had mentioned that I'd started it before, but me and my girlfriend went through it, and it's really good. It's really good. Also, I also really enjoyed Letterkenny. It's just that we've talked off-air about possibly getting back to that for an episode, so I I don't want to say too much, but
1: I liked it. It was good. Yeah. There's eight more seasons of Letterkenny that we haven't covered yet. That's that's stuff to go of when we've forgotten what to do. Exactly.
0: Um... Queen's Gambit, really, really good. Um, In my opinion, maybe not quite up to as much hype as I've been seeing about it in some places. All the hype I'm hearing is that and Bridgerton for completely opposite reasons, by the by. (laughs) But I'm saying that, like... My opinion is only, like, half a step down from those glowing reviews. Like, it is amazingly done. It's just that I found it far weaker in some parts than some of these reviews seem to be. But we're like, it's a 95%. You're like, it's a 90? It's it's more like I'm seeing a lot of, like, it's a 98% and I think it's a 95%. Ah,
1: okay. Even closer. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair.
0: Or maybe, like, 93. Okay, we are
1: putting too much thought into
0: this. I I was thinking (laughs) about it a lot this weekend. (laughs) The big thing, so, normally, like, we, we've we talked about this before, sometimes our fucking, what we've been ingesting is just our recommendation. Uh-huh. I'm going to get them both out of the way right now, because it's been the big thing that happened this week, weirdly affected me this weekend. I'm, I won't say that I was ever the biggest fan of MF Doom, but on the 31st, it was released, um by his record label, Rhymesayers, from a note from his wife uh, that the rapper MF Doom had passed away back in uh, back in October. A lot of the initial reporting was uh, COVID complications, although I've seen a lot of stuff back away from that, so I'm not sure if it was accurate or not. But that's because he's also the type of guy that, when it was first announced, everyone wasn't sure if it was a stunt or not. Ah. Okay. <laughs> Um, MF Doom is, was, uh, a legend of underground rap, which is its own weird little niche. <laughs> well, not just niche, but like, how do you stay underground and also become a legend?
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: But I mean, in a lot of ways for a lot of people, he started off his career kind of as the rap Banksy was almost never like photographed without his helmet on. MF Doom, Metal Fingers Doom, started off with like a Dr. Doom mask on. I didn't
1: know it was Metal Fingers. I always assumed it was motherfucking.
0: Yeah. I'm assuming Metal Fingers because I think uh, he, he put out some instrumental albums, uh, which are uh, what Metal Fingers presents Special Herbs and Spices, <laughs> and he had like four four volumes of those. Kind of the best way to describe him, even if it isn't accurate in your particular case, is he's your favorite rapper's rapper, or he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Ah, okay. Like, all right.
1: I mean, I I'd never really listened to him before, but you had some on when I came in,
0: and he's pretty good. I mean, he, the Doctor Doom persona, like he knows the nerdy shit. One of his entire albums was kind of done in collabo with Adult Swim and Aquatine Hunger Force. <laughs> I hate
1: Aqua oh, Teen for
0: so much, but that's, that's fun that he did that. God, he went to the point of, here's what I was holding off from telling you before the show started, like this kind of pissed some of his fans off that went to go see him live the times he would appear live. He ran with the MF Doom persona to the point where he would send out Doom bots that- and not perform. It would just be some other fucking rapper in his mask.
1: You fucking asshole. <laughs> oh my, that's like some Andy Warhol level, like, bullshittery. I respect it from an artistic perspective. From a consumer
0: perspective, uh dude. I think at a certain point he started backing off of it some because he realized <laughs> how it was disappointing people, but his initial point was like, I'm just in charge of this persona. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this isn't me, this is a character I'm playing, so I can do with this character what I want. Like. Yeah, no, artistically it's brilliant. Um, I just would be so mad if like, and so pretty much everything I did this weekend was, I don't know, for some reason, news of his death hit me hard. He was one of those artists that I would look up every now and then, but I would never skip over when their shit would come up on like the, the generated playlists on Spotify Mm -hmm. and stuff or like back when I used Pandora a lot and stuff would never skip over. I, I had went into his catalog at different times in the past. So this weekend, I I didn't get through his entire discography, but pretty much everything I did was set to one of his albums. And so to go along with that, it's... I don't know why it hit me so hard, but... There's some, there's some people that that just happens.
1: You're um, like, man, I didn't think you were going to mess me up.
0: So while I'm talking about him, I'll get my recommendations out of the way. I think the easiest two ways to get into him would probably be either his most critically acclaimed album... Uh, Mad Villainy from 2004 which he did in uh, conjunction with producer Mad Lib. More than any other artist whenever Doom would collabo with people he would often collabo like an entire album instead of just one or two songs. Mm -hmm. If we're gonna do it let's do it. And in that case he would also like come up with a group name just for that album. (laughs) So that one's actually put out under Mad Villain. Mad Villainy. Probably by far his most critically acclaimed and has just some insanely good tracks on it. I kind of feel the easier way to get into him is uh, the album we put out the very next year with uh, Danger Mouse, uh, Danger Doom. Uh, The name of the album is The Mouse and the Mask. Just Danger Doom. Just that's all we need. That's so good. (laughs) Uh, I don't know the band. I'm not look the That's up right also home. the one that was done in Colabo with uh, like Aqua Teen Hunger Force and stuff. Oh. has a lot of samples from that in it. A lot of just kind of nerdy deep cut references, but also is some really just really good intricate wordplay and rapping. Those are the two easiest ways to get into it. But I also have to point out the song Rap Snitch Kanishes from Operation Doomsday, which is just a hilarious song about the tendency of rappers To talk about selling crack, to rap about selling crack while they're selling crack.
1: I feel like you've read that to me
0: before. Like, well, he references the Ten Crack Commandments. Okay, that's what I'm
1: thinking of.
0: Um, It's just a whole. Just oh, it's really funny when you're sitting there and you're listening to what he's actually saying. Um, Anyway, I don't know. I went on a huge Doom kick. I have to recommend it. It's it's what I'm going to continue listening to him through this week too. Probably now mixed in with some children about them because I just found out their lead guitarist passed. But God, it's been a rough week for people. Yeah. Which so, by MF Doom, Bye Alexi Laiho, since I just mentioned him too. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um,
1: so we have the news now in our uh, new way of trying this: the Fantastic Four of the week. Both Tyler and I have picked. News articles, uh, each one themed after a member of the Fantastic Four. We'll start with. I had Mr. Fantastic and Visible Woman, so we'll start with Mr. Fantastic, uh, which is a real science. a, a, a real science thing, not a sci fi thing or anything like that. And I was reading about uh, how Earth's magnetic pole has drifted and, like, how fast it's drifted has sped up. Okay. The MWW or no, the WMM, which is the World Magnetic Model, has been updated and released a year ahead of schedule because the the geographic and the magnetic north poles are not at the same place on the planets. Right. The geographic one is, you know, just the north pole, what we think of. The magnetic one, it doesn't heavily affect anything, but just you know, magnetic north of the planet moves around, and traditionally it moves at about 10 kilometers a year. But it has sped up to 50 kilometers a year, and they don't know why. It is thought to be because of metals under the earth, like under the crust, that, you know, there's a lot of fucking magma and stuff at that point that are moving around. Mm-hmm. So there might be something. Um, It doesn't really affect anything. Like, when I was first reading, I'm like, is this at? Should I be worried about this? Like, say,
0: well, the 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 magnetic poles suddenly flipping has been one of those weird conspiracy theories for a long time anyway, like that's something that could lead to an apocalypse. Oh my god, everything would die, yeah. Like, it's just because should... it sounds bad, but I just nothing kept... happens?
1: I just kept thinking of old school Doctor Who, where they would... Their answer to every kind, every time there was tech jargon, because John Pertwee didn't want to like have to learn fucking tech jargon, he would talk up, or they, he was like, just give me one line. And so they went, uh, reverse the polarity, the polarity of, of the, the neutron, neutron flow. flow. <laughs> Same, and like, scientists were like, you know, that means nothing, right? <laughs> like, that means literally nothing. But it's good tech line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even in the 50th, they still tend to say, like, reverse the polarity. They stopped the neutron flow part, but what it really means is they're going to have to do some slight tweaks to GPS, which might go a little haywire and the shifting, not the complete reversal. I don't know what would happen at that point. Right. Probably nothing or nothing significant. And they're going to have to tweak some like takeoff and landing things for aircrafts Mm. because they use a lot of, you know, like GPS and shit like that. And, Magnets, I don't know. That makes me sound like a crazy person. Magnets, how the fuck do they work? <laughs> um, God, I don't have anything against Insane Clown Posse, but I really hate that song. <laughs> I really hate that song. I'm not really science-y to know too much
0: of what this means other than it was kind of cool. I have to imagine that it might affect, I don't know, like, some birds' migration routes or something? I could see something like that. But it seems, like like you said, it's not like it doesn't already move around some, so maybe their systems are already taking that into account?
1: Who knows? I mean, it already moves. It's just I just want to know why it's moving faster. Like, that's mm-hmm. the part that would make me go, all right, yeah, i will talk about it. Full confession, my original plan for this was, I read an article about crashing on the moon, like an Israeli spacecraft crashing on the moon and spilling tardigrades out to the moon. So now water bears rule the moon. As they should. As they should. But it turns out that was from last year, and I just didn't notice the date. Mm. So also turns out that we have dropped tardigrades on the moon, and they're like, well, they're tardigrades, so they'll be fine. (laughs) They're thriving. They're they're
0: living their best life. They're
1: probably... (laughs)
0: guess who's not worried about covid right now (laughs) the fucking tardigrades on the moon all right also if somebody could draw us a picture of tardigrades partying on the moon suddenly a reminder
1: i should draw us a fucking picture of tardigrades on the moon that could be like our first shirt oh
0: yes tardigrades on the moon (laughs) just because i love this idea right now just like holding hands and like prancing i'm 100 percent in Um, what about you? What's
1: your let's go with Johnny
0: Storm next? Can we rename our podcast Tardigrades on the Moon? Probably not. We already have the hats. That's true. Damn it. Hat. General Tardigrades on the Moon. What do we got? My uh, Uh, Johnny Johnny Storm. All right. Uh, The hot new thing of the week. Hot new things. There's not much hot new because we were in the business of fucking turning over out of. 2020.
1: Yeah, because it's COVID and New Year's and a bunch of politic things that I don't have the
0: energy to talk about. So, the biggest things from the past weekend, right before we recorded this, is that uh, with the New Year, The Office left Netflix and is now on Peacock. Being on Peacock, not all of it's available unless you go for like the paid version, Mm -hmm. but it does come with some never before seen things. Oh, so if you're cool. already like a big office fan, there's new like there's new never before shit from the office to go check out, which is kind of neat including like a cold open where they completely ape uh the Matrix to <laughs> try to convince Dwight he's in the Matrix and Hank uh the the security man is supposed is playing the part of Morpheus, Morpheus's twin brother Dorpheus.
1: Okay. Is that the same guy who plays uh What is that? The Brooklyn Bandit in... The Pontiac Bandit in, um... No, I'm thinking of someone else. I'm sorry. The... I can't think of that actor's name. Black guy. He plays, I believe, the, like, uh, warehouse manager or something in the office. And he plays the Pontiac Bandit in Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: Oh, um, Craig Robinson.
1: Yes! Not Craig Robinson. Not Craig
0: Craig Robinson. uh, The late Hugh Dane.
1: Ah, okay. Sorry, The office stressed me out and I couldn't do it.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) lost count of the amount of times I've rewatched seasons one through five.
1: You know, like as I was watching it, I'm like, this is really funny and I'm enjoying it. And then we got through the part that uh, Pam and What's-His-Name got together. And I'm like, that was the main thing, like keeping me going. Now I'm just really uncomfortable at Steve Carell's character. I get that that's on purpose, so that's a choice, and it is very well done. It just sets off my anxiety. <laughs> like.
0: Um, and since that's not much, just saying that there's new clips, uh, there's also a giant rumor that Netflix is possibly going to start working on a Elder Scrolls TV series. That could be interesting.
1: It is a really slow week for... Fancy, exciting nerd news. We don't. It doesn't come up much right now.
0: Uh, um, and honestly, I know what your last story is, so I'm going to go into the Ben Grimm and get yeah. that boringness out of the way, too. <laughs> <laughs> there also was... Like I said... It was...
1: We're recording this just after New Year's, so most of this was the week between Christmas and New
0: Year's, which already just doesn't exist in the first place.
1: That's not how time works. Yeah.
0: And all the big news is that's currently going on is not genre news. We're not talking about that right now. I'll yell too much. Uh, So this is interesting. The most thorough and in-depth look that I have seen about Marvel's The Eternals so far Mm -hmm. is because Red Wolf, a clothing company based out of India that's doing most of the tie-in merchandise, has released descriptions.
1: They are not fucking talking about Eternals.
0: And I if, have barely seen anything put out so far about Eternals. And it's supposed to be coming out this year, right? I think so. I think like, it's what kind I of early years. this year.
1: <laughs> and it's one of the ones that is, like, could be most interesting. No one knows quite what to fucking expect from Jack Kirby Space Gods. It's got a big name cast. Like, isn't Angelina Jolie in
0: it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Kit Harrington. And, From Game of Thrones. Oh God!
1: One of the actor, funny comedian guy, who's suddenly super buff and it's weirding people out.
0: Oh, Camille uh, uh, Nanjiani. That's
1: yeah, the one. Really,
0: dude? Kamil? Yeah, he got ripped. But I also love how I would do if I got paid that him. much money. Yeah. He <laughs> He's like, I can't do this by myself. This is because they sent me a person. Like, I requested it because they didn't they told me I didn't have to get in shape, but he's like, I want that Chris Pratt. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would I would want to try it too. I understand. <laughs> you know, if someone was going to pay me an obscene amount of money and hire someone to make all those choices for me, sure, I'll try being
0: stupid ripped for a while. So, it's a, it's a little bit to read off here, but because it is the most information we've got from what's going to be the Marvel Cinematic Universe version of The Eternals. Hit me. Um, and you can, I know like nothing about the Eternals, so you can tell me how this sounds. I have a feeling these are going to be vague enough descriptions that it's going to fit for the comics, but... The
1: only full Eternals thing I've ever read is Neil Gaiman's run, Mm. which was a really weird Eternals run, although a pretty good comic
0: book. Okay. Uh,
1: but I, I read up a lot on them because they're
0: 70s stoner space gods. So here's the information that is coming to us through Red Wolf, the clothing company, from their shit that they've been given from Marvel to give merchandise. Who makes up the Eternals team, you ask? Icarus is the tactical leader and most powerful Eternal and takes pride in keeping the other Eternals safe. Moral, kind, and charismatic, Icarus boasts the power of incredible strength, flight, and the ability to project beams of intense cosmic energy from his eyes. When the monstrous Deviants return after centuries, Icarus leads the charge to unite the scattered Eternals to stop the new threat. You bet we'll have some Icarus t-shirts available as well. Uh, Cersei is the Eternal with an affinity for humanity. Cersei is a happy working as a museum curator as she is saving, as she is saving humans from the threat of the Deviants. Cersei has the ability to manipulate matter, changing the makeup of any non-sentient material she touches. She's also been in love with Icarus for centuries and helps him to recruit the Eternals for one last mission. Um, hmm. Okay.
1: It, uh, Cersei is probably the most like successful uh, she she was never created to be like the main Eternal but probably the most successful Eternal that has been out in the wider world of Marvel mm. because she had a pretty a surprisingly long run on the Avengers oh okay uh, for a good part of the early 90s and possibly late 80s she was an Avenger with Black Knight who was going to come up here
0: hmm uh, we got Ajak is a spiritual leader, of the, spiritual leader of the Eternals. Her wisdom has helped guide the team since they arrived here from their home planet to help defend humanity from the Deviants and helped humans advance to the modern civilization that they live in today. Ajak can not only heal humans and Eternals alike, but she is able to communicate with the Celestials as well. Uh, Fastos is best. Fastos Selma is- Hayek is playing her. That's pretty great. Mm. Sorry. Uh, is blessed with the power of invention. He is able to create whatever he can imagine, whatever he can imagine, provided that he has enough raw materials at his disposal. Over the centuries, Fastos has helped nudge humanity forward technologically, while always keeping his brilliance hidden in the shadows. Makari is the fastest woman in the universe. She uses her cosmically powered super speed to scout planets for the Eternals, and as the only deaf Eternal, the sonic boom that accompanies her cosmic running does not affect her.
1: Akari was a man in the comics, which, fucking, whatever, more power to you. But uh, he was the main character of Neil Gaiman's mm. run, where he, Makari, where he becomes kind of a prophet, Hmm. Okay. which is weird. It It's a weird comic book, but I actually really enjoyed it. Uh... Big doofy helmet that looks really cool. <laughs> I'll be really curious to see if they even try, if they're like, no, we're not doing that. I don't think he's deaf in the comic either. If he was, it didn't come up in the gaming room.
0: Ooh, I know you mentioned Black Knight. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come up in their write-up. I'm looking at what they have left. and uh, I'm pretty sure he's who I know Harrington is. I know, way. he's in the thing, but um, he's not in their write-up.
1: Harrington's here. not an Eternal. Or okay. not, Black Knight is not an Eternal. Right. He just falls in love with Cersei during... Things. Things. Their Avengers run together. Mm. He's mostly an asshole with an evil sword. Yeah, I actually really like Black Knight, but the way to write him the last few years has been he's slowly losing his mind.
0: Okay. Like the sword is driving him crazy. Let's see, the one the other one Jesus. They still went through a lot of these, dude. Druid can use cosmic energy to control the minds of men. Druig has become withdrawn from the other Eternals because he disagrees with how they've interacted with mankind over the centuries. Aloof and powerful, at times it's hard to determine whether he's friend or foe. Gilgamesh is the strongest and kindest member of the team. He becomes Thena's de facto partner when the events of the past exile... When events from the past exile them from the rest of the team... Capable of projecting a powerful exoskeleton of cosmic energy, Gilgamesh is a fierce warrior who has become legendary for his fights with deviants throughout history.
1: In the comics, I don't think Gilgamesh could make a psychic exosuit or whatever it was you just said.
0: Okay. Um, He was
1: just a... Superpowered? He was a big, strong guy. Him, big, strong boy. Um, (laughs) Who was infinitely more boring than a character based off motherfucking Gilgamesh has any right to be. They just kind of were like, well, we've not done Zumeri yet. Gilgamesh is great. But they didn't have anything. His big thing was
0: no one had ever heard of him before. And they're like, why not? And he's the first hero. Powerful exoskeleton of cosmic energy kind of just sounds like Apache Chief, right?
1: Oh, my God, you're right. I mean, it sounds cool. Like, that—that that is a wonderful sentence that I'm glad it exists. <laughs> uh, I just had never thought of it for Gilgamesh. Also, please make him gay
0: or bi. Gilgamesh was so fucking gay for Uh, Enkidu. Thena? Thena? Thena, Thena. I believe. Uh, Because it'd be what, Athena?
1: Probably, yeah. She bangs a deviant and has twins with it.
0: No. Thena, (laughs) a fierce warrior more comfortable in battle than any other place, she has the ability to use cosmic energy to form any handheld weapon she can think of. Often surly and aloof, she forges an unlikely friendship with Gilgamesh that spans centuries. Uh, Kingo is the Eternal with the power to project, project cosmic energy projectiles with his hands. Over the centuries, he's become enamored with the idea of fame. In present day, he's a famous Bollywood st- star who must leave his life of wealth and celebrity to help the team repel a new deviant threat. I think we know who Kamal Nanjiani. Is.
1: Yes, I had to look it up because people at work were like, "Who's Kamal playing?" and I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> Figure it out. This is your thing to know. This is it. And I'm like, on. I'm like, who is Kango? And I'm like, I'm going to have to figure that one out, too. Um, <laughs> he's not a major one in the original, though. He was Japanese and he was a samurai movie star. Oh, OK. Turning him into a Bollywood movie star is a kind of fun way of. There's something really funny about turning a Bollywood star into an action hero to me. Like that's <sighs> that's going to be so that's good. clever. That's going to be good. And no um, one fucking cares about
0: King-O in the first place. It's Kingo. o uh, And finally, Sprite, who happens to be a 12-year-old girl. Sprite has the ability to life lifelike illusions. Her friendship with Cersei hides world-weary sadness because she's been treated by like a child by humanity for centuries. But Sprite is much stronger and cleverer than she appears, which will come in handy as while they battle with the Deviants. Another one that was a boy in the comic,
1: and I'm pretty sure gets murdered at one point by Zuras, the head of the Eternals. Hmm. Because he like fucked around and found out. uh, Sprite was not in the right in that story where he gets killed. Mm. I mean, don't kill people. (laughs) 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 But same thing. Uh, We will definitely do an Eternals episode when it comes out, just because I'm so fascinated to see what is that even going to be? And they got Kieran Gillen, who's one of my favorite comic writers to write a new Eternals comic to like come out around the same time, which hmm. he's just fucking weird enough to be perfect for this. Anyways, it is time for our Sue storm, which is the, uh, news piece you might have missed. Let's be honest. A lot of times in my case, it is going to be comic stuff because that's stuff that isn't as noticed as opposed to like big movie news. Um, but it is also the, week that we were talking about in between Christmas and New Year's. So there hasn't been a whole hell of a lot. Uh, But Marvel has made a big deal about the fact that in Amazing Spider-Man 62 by Nick Spencer and Patrick Gleason, Spider-Man will be getting a new costume. Mostly does it sounds like Gleason was involved in the design, but it was mostly Dustin Weaver who really threw it together. Okay. Um, Gleason has been an artist that I've been really fond of, fifteen years now, and he did a really great Superman run before heading over to Marvel. Mm. And Marvel has decided he's like one of their young new talents, which is confusing to me because he's been around for a while. But uh, Dustin Weaver is—he can look. His work can be a little wooden sometimes, but it is some of the most straight-up beautiful comic work that's come out in years. Like, from a purely artistic skill level. It's an interesting costume. They're treating it like it's going to be a big, like, permanent change. No one believes that, because if the black and white Venom costume can't become permanent, as fucking
0: classic as that look is, you're going to go back to the red and blue.
1: It's Spider-Man.
0: This one keeps reminding me of something, and I can't quite think of what it is
1: it is going to look like absolute fire when it comes up in one of the future Sony Spider-Man games. That's true. It is going to look so fucking good in this. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it is a, it follows a lot of the same design of classic Spider-Man, except instead of the red with webs part, it is white and it's got a bigger spider with that. It like glows. And there's a bunch of like neon linings uh, and it is much more techie looking yeah uh, like
0: obvious techie looking
1: yes it looks much more like a helmet that he's wearing which is not a bad idea like if you're gonna fight crime some kind of actual protective helmet instead of a mask tends to be a good
0: yeah, it do, it is definitely, I hadn't really caught on the fact it's more helmety, but you can even sort of see where it connects in the back.
1: Yeah, I can basically see where the seams would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that revealed it really is look at how they do the ear. Right. It is very kind of round. I think I like it. The more I'm looking at it, there is something a little off about it. And if they keep it in the long run, they will end up making slight modifications likely to make it I think it's just a little too busy. The eyes remind me of Grr. Oh, I'm never seeing that. Uh, the eyes made me think of Blue Beetle. Oh, yeah, I see that, too. They've, they're have they kind of... Bu- Instead of the classic Spider-Man shape, they've got kind of a black area that's Spider-Man shape and then kind of orby, round, more... Like bu- Actually bug-looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of moth-going lamp meme eyes um, (laughs) sticking out it's cool i looked at it and automatically started thinking about how i would make it i didn't notice until i saw it on a bigger screen that it looks like it's all white at first but it's got there's some it looks like some gray gray techy look
0: i don't i think that's completely unnecessary there's gray that's not shading that's for sure there's gray that's like the suit
1: Um, I would not have done that. I would have just kept it all white because it is already using black, white, blue, and then a kind of orangey-red glow. Adding in gray makes it super complicated.
0: Uh, It's a tiny little quibble, but my least favorite thing on it is the boxiness of the back of the hands. Mm -hmm. It looks like there's some sort of... um, I don't know, some sort of computer set into the back of him. So maybe it's to switch up the type of webbing he's using or something. But Yeah, I bet you money that it's going to have
1: a little holographic display that like pops up and he can, you know,
0: Tony Stark it. But oh. it's weirdly boxy compared to the rest for me.
1: Yeah. If they had integrated some of that into his boots as well, I think it would have worked better. Like there's ways you could have made it work, but it's unnecessary. What I I think will be
0: dope is him appearing behind somebody in, like, shadow and you having only the suit fucking... The glow and the
1: glow eyes. No, I think it's got some really strong aspects to it. Um, For some reason, I keep expecting him to have, like, ninja tabby boots. Hmm. The kind of, like, two-toed boots. But he does not. And I don't know why I feel like he needs to have it. The more we're talking about it, the more I like it. But I do think that it needs to get... Slightly pared down for simplicity's sake, but I am also an overly simplistic costume design person. Like I don't want, for the most part, insane details for something that's going to have to be drawn forty times in a comic book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely don't so... hate it. I definitely don't hate it. it it's still going to take a little bit of getting used to. I think, like you said, it's going to look fucking amazing in a video game.
1: It's not built for a comic book, I think is my biggest problem with it. It is built for a a video game It's perfect or a movie. I wouldn't be surprised to see a variation of this pop up in Spider-Man 3.
0: Mm.
1: Which is fine. It's just a little weird. <laughs> that's, just, that's news. That's news! <laughs> 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 so... Feet of Clay, by Terry Pratchett, once again diving into the watch of Ankh-Morpork. You had this up. What year did this book come
0: out? Uh, 96. And what number in the Discworld? Do we know what? It is uh, 19th in the Discworld. And the third Ankh-Morpork City Watch book. Right, although um, the fourth story concerning them.
1: Yes, because they did a very short story. I read it. It takes less than five minutes to read, but it's still, it was cute.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't remember what that one is called, but we're checking out. The reason we picked this, you know, years later after it came out, is or The Watch on BBC finally launched, I believe, yesterday or today, when we're recording this, the first episode came out. And, and we haven't checked it out yet. Obviously. Um, but uh, we've talked about it enough that we're going to check it out and Cheery Littlebottom is a major character in it and this is the book she's introduced so I wanted to make sure that you had all of the characters before I get to that version Uh, because one I'm very curious to see what I think of that version because they wildly changed the character but I also wanted you to get Cheery unfiltered from the TV show Right, in the same way that I would want you to have like Sam Vimes or Carrot, mm-hmm.
0: although now I've had a bit of them, yes, which is great. I'm not saying I mean,
1: that yeah, this is your third experience with Vimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that this is not my favorite watch book, but I do think this is right around the time that Terry Pratchett took another one of his like uptick in qualities when it came to his writing. Mm. There's a few points in the series where you just go. Oh, he became a significantly better author between this book and this one. And they're all good. I've never read a Terry Pratchett thing I didn't like. I mean, even though we spent most of the last episode talking about... Uh, the last Pratchett episode, or the last Discworld episode, talking about Terry's flaws, he's still so fucking good. And I'm once again, all, we... all over myself.
0: And with that last one, we are talking a lot more from... A Today perspective rather than when it came out. I think we both feel like he was probably far more progressive than not even with the flaws that were in his last one. Yeah,
1: and you can critique something and still like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I mean, that was one of my favorite books that we critiqued, but also we're going to try not to do that quite as much one. I think he has a better balance of how to express social issues a little better by the time he's doing this because he's done a couple books with that and just two, it would get boring to do episode after episode of here's where
0: terry was imperfect right right <laughs> and i don't want to do that because i even with us doing that last episode like fucking love that book oh so good um
1: anyways this book
0: i enjoyed more
1: it's a better written book uh, and he's found his feet a lot more with what he
0: wants to do with these characters. Uh, it's. Uh, I do want to get my one big criticism please, out of the way. No, I'm not opening this saying we can't criticize. this. No, I mean, I, I would also rather focus on like the positives, <laughs> especially after the last time. But there was one change that bugged me. What's that? Even though I feel like this might be my favorite overall watch book, maybe so far? Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking hard on that one. Um, it
1: didn't have nearly enough Sybil Vines in it,
0: like any. Ah, uh, he really smartened up Detritus. Like yeah. to the point where he's almost not recognizable as the same character to me.
1: Detritus is much smarter. I think part of it is uh, they don't mention it in this book, so it's easy to forget about. By this point, Detritus has his thinking helmet mm. that Cuddy made him. Mm-hmm. And it will come up in later books again, and I think if they had made some mention of it, but you're right, Detritus has uh he is much smarter than he was, where he was ridiculously dumb in uh in, what is that, men at arms. He is a a capable sergeant, but still kind of dumb.
0: Mm-hmm. In
1: this one, I think part of it can be explained by we have found a play. Uh, we have found something that Detritus is really good at, and like have encouraged his growth. Yeah, encouraged his, his time growth. time is obviously but, passed. Like. Uh, I think couple, like a year, is supposed to have passed in this mm-hmm. point, but it is. You're right. It is a really significant. Terry Pratchett was always pretty willing to alter a character as he needed to befit a story, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's completely legitimate choice. It does sometimes drag them a little farther than you would expect them to go.
0: Yeah, like I said, I he I almost also but, love it wasn't detritus
1: like, in this book. He has like two of the funniest scenes to that's me. That's
0: the thing. It's like it's not that I didn't like the character. It's just that it wasn't recognizable to me as being detritus.
1: Uh, the moment it starts, at the very end. But I'm going to make sure to not reveal anything with it. Detri- uh, one thing that they make fun of a couple times in this is the uh, habit they have in like cop cereals to have someone like put their finger in something and like taste oh, it and be like, "Yeah, yep, that's cocaine." And Detritus does that, and then he's like, "Did I just do that?" And they're like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, that explains what the spiders comes." Mm-hmm. And then like passes out. And like, perfect. That is, it was just
0: comedic. That Gold. was really good. <laughs> um, this book was also, it was weird for me, not in a bad way, it was just weird. You'd mentioned before the evolution of Terry's writing style and mm-hmm. how this one's another step up. This is the least amount of footnotes I'd ever seen a muse.
1: See, I only listened to the audio, I've only listened to the audiobook, so I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting.
0: And he contained, the comedy changed some. A lot more of it was within the actual characters' dialogues rather than asides to the audience.
1: That definitely does decrease, and his use of gags decrease, like, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm.
0: There's still some good ones in there. there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's still Terry Pratchett, but he is much more... I feel like at this point in Terry's writing, or at least this phase, it lasts for up through about Thud he becomes much more interested in exploring the characters than he is setting up like the literary equivalent of gags, And in some ways it leads to stronger writing, but it does in, it does reduce some of the Terry a little bit as a result. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense.
0: I got the, the description that kept coming to me as I was reading it was this one seems a lot more subtle than his earlier works.
1: Yeah. That's definitely true. Uh, he does have... There's an ongoing joke of instead of saying bricks, it is uh, square building things or something like that. Like, Detritus tries to say, I'll come down on you like a ton of bricks and mm. instead I'll come down on you like a ton of square building things. And it becomes an ongoing gag threat. So there's still those Terry stuff. But I feel like in, especially if you go back to his earlier stuff like Color of Magic, he would have just beaten that joke into the ground. Or that kind of joke.
0: How much, like, how much are we trying to sell this and how much are we going to talk about spoilers?
1: I don't want to spoil the big mystery. Does that mean, like, I, I don't mind talking a little bit about it and some of the stuff they're trying to figure out. I don't want to spoil, like, what the answer is. Um, I don't mind spoiling character growth as much, but I want to leave the murder mystery plot as is because I really enjoy the murder mystery plots on this one. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I do think it's one of his better written, like, well, see, there's whodunits. the thing, like,
0: the, the character growth is fine in this one, but there's no big moments and it's not about the, getting the characters to accept certain things like it was in, say, Men at Arms, but there's Theming that does tie into there's some theming. I I
1: was thinking about this when I was listening to this over the weekend. The character growth is you said subtle already. The character growth is way more subtle in this one, uh, as it's more characters figuring out not being like forced into a new position, but they're in this new position and they are becoming like comfortable in it. And I think the best way I can kind of make this like. Uh, Finding a place, they have found a place where they belong, and now they are becoming more true to themselves in that place they belong. Vimes, I think, gets the most, some of the most subtle character growth in this book. Because at the very beginning of this, Vimes is trying to figure out who the hell he is now. Because he has basically struck a gold as well, beyond what anyone could have hoped for. He has married an amazing woman who is also just so happens to be the richest woman in the city. He is now one of the most powerful people in the city from being one of the like least powerful people in the city. Uh, and he is in a position where he can actually affect real change in pork. That is all. It is everything that he has ever dreamed from. And he's also not drinking anymore, mm-hmm. which it was nice to see a Vimes that didn't just have a period of where he dissolved. We had that twice There's some funny stuff in it. I was glad not to see it anymore. Also, I enjoy stories where the character's an alcoholic, but not every story has to be about them falling off the wagon or almost falling off the wagon. Mm -hmm. And Vines is feeling trapped in the beginning of this because he grew up poor. But now to, like, the poor and the average people, he's the rich, snobby shit. But to the upper crust... He's a jumpstart little poor person who thinks that he's special. And he goes from not being sure how to balance these things to, by the end, accepting that he lives somewhere in between and that because he lives somewhere in between like that, he can actually protect people in a way that not really anyone else could. Mm. He gets to be the voice for the poor people that he's always thought that you know the common man has needed.
0: You already just pointed out all the reasons why he's able to do this. I just enjoyed seeing him confident throughout because he stayed clean. Yeah. Like, it's really cool seeing his thought processes on this. It, it's actually a really good, like, mystery story, the way it unfolds. And most of the mystery section is driven by Vimes trying to get it done and ordering the others into these positions. And so seeing him as a truly capable leader throughout.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, leader being, I think, the important thing. Because Vimes himself admits he's not overly smart. He's not dumb by any stretch of the imagination. But he's not brilliant. He's not a Sherlock's Home, Sherlock Holmes detective. He's street smart, which has led him to be able to solve some stuff. But he's really good at getting, you know,
0: cheery. Or... He knows, he knows that... Like, this is something I mm-hmm. need to put Cheery on. This is something I yeah. need to put Carrot on. This is something... There's a good
1: place to use Detritus. He knows how to take advantage of the people who work for him in a way that he wasn't capable of when he was a drunk. Mm-hmm. Also, while he still has some kind of problematic I'm not racist, I hate everyone, you do get to watch a whole shit ton of evolution of him as a character in that respect. Uh... As he sees other people say shitty things and he's like, he almost becomes not racist and an ally out of spite Mm -hmm. because he sees other people that he looks down on be disgusting and he's like, I'm going to prove that guy fucking wrong. You see him start to get over his distrust of the undead here. He doesn't make it all the way, but he starts to get over his distrust of the undead. He before had been like no undead, no zombies in the watch. Immediately hires them on when someone says something shitty to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, he does end up getting kind of vindicated by his continued hate of vampires, but it's easier to let it slide in this one because it's not the point of the book.
1: Yes. It's not the point that, you know, it turns out all vampires suck. It will take Terry a few more books before he really starts examining vampires as a like concept here mm-hmm. in this one vampires are still much more uh they manipulate and they hunt other people so it lets them use you know allegories like the rich and powerful who prey on the weak mm-hmm. dragon king of arms is creepy as all fucking get out though so
0: i hated his speech pattern so much
1: oh my god and hearing it spoken like in an audiobook does not make it better, let me promise you oh, that. I bet. <laughs> the person who did it had made him always sound kind of like mucusy. I hate uh, it already. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very like it was a good character choice for him. It made that like creepy laugh he would do in the middle of stuff better. But oh. I love at the very beginning, you see how much Vimes is actually making a difference with how often the assassins are trying to kill him now.
0: And the amount
1: of, like, traps that he has sent to, like, stop the assassins. He keeps, like, bear traps in all of his hedges and uh, will put shingles on his roof on, like, wheels on one of them. So when an assassin goes to, like, try and get a position, they'll just suddenly go flying off. Mm -hmm. Fall into the dragon
0: pen. That was. I wish that came up more throughout it, but that was a fun way to open up the book.
1: Um, it never becomes a major plot point. It does become kind of a more ongoing theme Theme, as higher and higher ranking assassins are trying to take out Vimes and
0: Vimes being like, you guys suck. <laughs> Man, I got street smarts. <laughs> like, It was neat kind of getting to see the drawbacks of Carrot. Carrot's a little sexist. Carrot is the traditional
1: action, like, Prince Valiant hero. And those characters are a lot of times a
0: little sexist. I wasn't even thinking that part of it. I mean, that gets cut, brought up a little bit. And he's he has a little bit to go, but he's also not the worst about it. No, he's not Especially, especially by any the... stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah. But it is interesting
0: to see Carrot get flaws. And what were you... It's more... It's kind of everything... I mean, pick a scene where Angua's thinking about him and not actually talking to him and what she thinks about him. And mm-hmm. it's basically every single one of those scenes is listing off like these things where like... He's
1: really the, infuriating the to only, be around. Yeah,
0: the only reason like this is cool is because he legitimately is a believer.
1: Yeah, he's... Uh, you would be a really obnoxious cynic if you didn't somehow like... 100% believe these things. Um, but
0: it's not... He he tries to keep too many people happy at once. but mm-hmm. And he's too good at it.
1: We... We're at this point seeing Carrot and Vimes rubbing off on each other, much more, like, ingrained into their personalities. Vimes seems to have taken to it better than Carrot has... Like, Carrot hasn't evened out quite as much. Because with Vimes, it's just being forced to realize that he does care about people. He's just pissed about it. Which, one of my all-time favorite character archetypes is the hero that wants to save everyone, but is mad about that fact.
0: Carrot needs to learn that it's okay to play favorites.
1: A little bit. And it's okay to... Yeah, actually, I don't think I have a better way of putting it
0: that um, because he values his relationship with everybody the same amount mm-hmm. and I think he values you know or he at least seems acts to it. like it yeah his actions are that of
1: I think he cares about everyone just as much he just cares about Angua in a very different way but because he doesn't really know how to explain that in a way you know he just is like yeah I love you Mm-hmm. but but you're like but you love everyone and in Carrot's mind he's like yeah but I love you this way like it, Carrot is in some ways I think kind of that concept of there isn't actually a limit on love there's just different kinds of love for different relationships mm-hmm. in your life but for someone who would treat that absolutely equally for every person he met I can understand how that would be the most infuriating thing in the world to date
0: mm-hmm
1: and Angua, who is already so jumpy and so ready to leave at the drop of a hat, because she's a werewolf, like some people take that real personal. Um, she's spending this whole time being like, "There's no way this can last." And Carrot's
0: like, "Not really helping things."
1: You're great. That's great. Everything is great. And she's like, "Do I mean nothing to you?"
0: Mm-hmm. He's,
1: like, "What do you mean? You're, You're great." great. <laughs> like, god damn it, Carrot. Like, um. There are a few points, because it turns out Angua has a thing about golems. We'll get into golems in a little bit. And she gets mad at Carrot being like, Can't you just once be, like, petty or flawed or show human emotions? And that doesn't land as well when he is pretty sexist against Cheery at a couple of points here. Uh, And I don't mind Carrot's a little sexist and has to, like, unlearn some of that shit. That's a thing that more people need to read about, honestly. Mm-hmm. More guys need to read about that as a like a positive thing. But it does make that argument not land as well and I'm like, come on, Carrot, get get your head out of your ass about something else. Uh Cheerie. Since I just mentioned her, let's and since she's the main reason I had you let's talk about Cheerie Littlebottom. Uh is great. Cheery uh, is a lot of fun. I really love the scene where she first meets Vines and she's revealing her name. And by the way, everyone thinks she's a boy at first, or a guy, man, whatever. Because dwarven men and women both act as, like, men. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't separate the sexes as long as you just act
0: like this one gender. And, we'll, and it's to the point where... Dwarves are guessing most of the time.
1: Um, and we'll get into that for right after this. But I really love the point of Chiri is has to give her name. And she's like, oh, no, I'm going to get laughed at here. And he... And Vimes is just like, oh, great. Nice to see those old dwarven names, like, that old naming traditions kept. Which is also, I think, a big growth point of Vimes. I think in Man at Arms he would have said something shitty.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and he describes Pratchett describes it as her like you know when you know a tooth is hurt and you keep poking it she keeps being like I did tell you my name right Cheery Little Bottom and my dad was I don't remember what the first part was but something Powerful. Little Bottom and like it's also bad Funny. and and Vimes is like yep yep you mentioned it's right here on the and then like after she leaves he has to like go lock himself in a closet or something so he can like just die laughing from what a ridiculous. Name that is in English.
0: Uh, Have you ever had to do that? Because I had to do that before.
1: Yeah, where you're like that name means something way different in my language. And That's not your fault. I'm not gonna laugh at you for that, but it's still like or someone just, being
0: named Richard hurts. Like, I just uh, that part hit. I was I laughed real hard at that because it reminded me of something that I hadn't thought of, of in years when I used to work at Kmart and we had uh, a. Guy was he regional manager? A regional manager that we were scared of, <laughs> whose name was Marv, until, like, me me and my, my ex, my, my girlfriend at the time, both worked there mm-hmm. together, um, both Latinx, and we knew he was too. And we're like, we know his name's well, not Marv. <laughs> and she worked front desk and got to see some official paperwork one time. We found out what his full name was, was Marviel, and we're just like oh no wonder it's a, great name. Name it's, a it's a it's a beautiful name it's an extremely feminine name for a guy that was that scary
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know like i'm not sure it's the good part of me that that's, laughs that's... when i read like cherry little bottom mm-hmm. and like uh but also you know if if something makes you laugh especially because of like language differences but you need to laugh but you're not being a dick about it. From my super white boy not qualified to say any of this. Okay.
0: Like and and that's that's the thing. Like we never laughed at like at him about it, but we had to go to the side for a second like are you kidding me? Like that's Marv's real name? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> also, when I hear Marv, Marvielle is never one I would have thought of. Um Cheery is a really interesting way of looking at feminism. And an aspect of feminism that I still see us as a culture struggle with. That an aspect of feminism is it is okay to be girly if you want to be. Like it it is you know, it is bad if you have to make up and skirts and all of these things. But if you want to, then you should a hundred man or woman really or in between, or other... Anyways, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to be as girl femme as you want to be. And as they put it, the dwarves, you can be gen- any gender you like as long as you act male. Mm-hmm. Is a super problematic concept that I've not necessarily seen act male, but, you know, you can be whatever you like as long as you do the thing that forces you to, like, conform. I thought this was a pretty good way of talking about it. Um, I have heard of a bunch of people who really love Cheery as uh, trans identity, Mm. which I think is a completely legitimate way of looking at it. I hear that in the show she's non-binary, which I don't like just because being a woman was so important
0: to who Cheery is here. Right, and that's... And that's, that's the, now kind of bugging me about the show, too, because it's not it wasn't just important to who she was. She started inspiring some of the other dwarf women, even by the end of this book. They're like, no, we want to change things up a little bit now that we're seeing that we we can.
1: And it's somewhere around here that he starts that Pratchett starts to find dwarves more interesting. You can find the poems for Pratchett where you can see an idea starting to click in Terry's mind when you read these books Mm -hmm. because you know that like four books later suddenly it's a major plot thing there's several big dwarf stories that will come up in the disc world from this point and dwarven views on gender is a like it's not the defining point of all of those stories but it becomes a just recurring theme in dwarf stories and I think it's really important that Cherry got to do that uh And also, I have no problem with a non-binary character. Like, yes, please, give us more non-binary representation.
0: Just this character, it seems. It is
1: so important to Cheery that she be allowed to be a woman that taking her away feels like substituting one representation for another. Like, we can only have so much representation in this show. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we we have to replace it with Cheery. Honestly, Nobby Knobs would have been my choice. Yeah. Nobs makes sense. Uh, which, you know, I'd, you'd have that's a risk on that one because one of the running themes of Nobby is that he's ugly and I don't want to, like, send wrong messages there. But there's something so interesting about Nobby in the first place that, I don't know, I, for some reason I feel like it would work. It does start wearing dresses in later
0: books. Hmm. I'm not sure if I knew that. I think you mentioned it before. It comes up in Jingo.
1: And it's... It does a pretty good job of not being... Bad about it? Yeah. Like, it's not perfect. But it it does lead to some interesting character growth for Nobby. Which I never thought... (laughs) Nobby is timeless as Nobby. And he doesn't really stop either, but...
0: Nobby was used in an interesting way in this one. Nobbs didn't have much growth himself but tied heavily into the themes because of who he was and how people changed themselves around them when Mm -hmm. there was a hint that he might be a (sighs) Uh, (laughs) knob. Turns out that it looks like Nobby is actually the
1: Earl of Ankh. And it's a major story point. And my favorite part of this is Nobbs is pissed about it. He does not want to be the fucking gentry. Right, he is—he is class solidarity, although in a very craven way. Because he's like, if Bonnie came
0: with it, sure, but if you're just going to give me the title, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> and then he wasn't at all impressed by when he was invited into high mm-hmm. society. He's like, all of this is bullshit. What am I gonna do with myself?
1: Uh, Nobby and Colin, neither one get major character arcs, but they get small fun bits with them i think i think colin becomes uh diminishing returns after this book i think this is my favorite colin story he is six weeks from retirement and there's a lot of jokes about that and colin is going to go retire and live on a farm while clearly knowing absolutely nothing about how farms work. <laughs> he, he picks up a book about animal husbandry and he's really nervous because he's not quite sure what that means. And he's like, oh, it's how to breed animals. And he goes, but how will I get the animals to read the book? <laughs> <laughs> so they'll know how to do it. And you're like, oh, oh, Colin,
0: you are not ready for life. Colon weirdly, of all the characters, was the one most used as a punchline in this book. Yeah. Because, like I said, at least all of the knobby scenes, even when he is being a walking joke, mm-hmm. it ties into the theme. Colon is
1: comedic relief in this one. He is just, if you need a break from all of the themes, switch to a colon episode— and I think part of it is everyone is figuring out who they are, and for the most part, Colin already knows who he is. It's and just, he just him wants realizing, to go relax, <laughs> but and him also realizing that he doesn't actually really want to change. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone is like changed and coming to terms with it. He's like, I'm supposed to change, but do I really want to do that? Like, um, Colin becomes a problem with this one because like him and Nobby are the useless, unchanging remainders of the original watch and I think they're important characters in that right and it's why it worries me that they're not in the TV show. Mm. I'm glad Detritus is. It's you know BBC CGI but still it's a Detritus. But Colin becomes increasingly difficult to deal with because Nobby works because he's that kind of like corrupt bullshit policeman who really shouldn't be allowed on the force but they can get some stuff done because he's got an ear. He's got an understanding of the underworld in ways that no one else can. Cause he's a little fucking thief himself. Mm-hmm. Colin is kind of the like old views out of date cop. And especially in the year of our Lord, 2020 or 2021, I got a lot less patience for the old school kind of racist cop. Right than yeah. I did. So like the world has changed in a way that makes me way less forgiving of Colin. It's kind of like Scully and Hitchcock from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Scully the useless one remains kind of charming, mm-hmm. but Hitchcock, the gross one, increasingly I'm like you're the worst. Um, He's not the worst here but there's a few there's a few points where I'm like oh,
0: oh Fred, oh no. He always weirdly reminds me of, I think it was, like, one of the desk sergeants from The Wire.
1: That tracks. He he is, like, the eminent, been-there-too-long cop sergeant.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't really talked... Well, I mean, we mentioned Carrot a little bit, and Carrot and Angua. I feel like we didn't... And the Angua stuff is kind of interesting, just how much she is ready to bolt throughout mm-hmm. all this. This is... Ang- I, it felt more like setup than anything, though. And I think I think you mentioned before, like, you do go into, like, the Uber Vault stuff more and later on.
1: Yes. This is... Angua's an interesting one because it, I think sometimes Pratchett kind of does Angua dirty because she never quite... All Angua stories kind of end up being more as like set up for major developments in the men around her. She never quite gets a full arc in her own right. That's not about a dude about mm. her dad or her brother or her, or Carrot in a lot of cases, or her relationship with Carrot. She kind of becomes defined by that, which is too bad because Angua is such an interesting character to me. Angua in this one is the person who has started putting down roots but hasn't yet realized that they're putting down roots or hasn't yet admitted that they're putting down roots. She's like, I'm going to have to go. Carrot's going to have to, like... and It's not going to work with Carrot. And then it you know, turns out that it's really easy in some ways to make it work with Carrot because he knows you for who you are and he loves you anyways. Mm-hmm. And she keeps, like, putting these expectations on him that he doesn't necessarily have. And I don't know if it's a failure in Pratchett's writing that, like, she's certain that he is bothered by the way people treat her as a werewolf. As a as a minority, let's be honest here. Uh, where she's like, I'm used to it, but it really bothers him. And I don't know if that actually is the thing that really bothers him, and she is like, reading it and he just... His plot gets kind of abandoned. Or if it's actually that it's stuff that bothers her that she's saying, oh, but it bothers Carrots. Because she doesn't want to admit that this shit bothers her. Or... Well... I don't feel like this story plot of her being like, man, it's really bugging Carrot that people treat me different for being a werewolf was ever really
0: resolved? I'm not sure if it was meant to be so yeah, here's a. That's fair. I kind of felt like the problems that were being illustrated in Carrot, especially through the character of Angua, were supposed to show all the reasons why Carrot wouldn't make a good king. I can see that in some ways. Um... Because a lot of the big theming of this book is this is the most sharp. Critique, like anti monarchy, yes. we've had throughout by the walk. By this watch. point,
1: Pratchett, which is funny because, and I don't know if how much Pratchett, I don't think Pratchett's in favor of kings, which is great because he was knighted and he was real into being knighted. Mm-hmm. Um, by this point, Vimes' anti king thing, which was mentioned a bit in Man at Arms, is like solidified.
0: This is by far the most anti-monarchy it's been so far. It's tied in uh, really heavily to the fact that most monarchies claim some sort of uh, uh, divine mandate. Mm-hmm. And that isn't explored as heavily, but is also themed throughout, especially with the way that the golems run. Yeah,
1: and the rightful king kind of
0: concept and- How do we stretch that?
1: Which was a super classic monarchy thing to do of being like, yeah, totally that person has a right to be
0: king. They're a someone, someone, someone. See, I wrote this down. Um, And is just kind of the book overall, also outright says it a couple times, uh, is a commentary and critique of the fact that uh, masses of people tend to try to put one person in charge. Mm Mm-hmm and they make fun of the whole concept of well they did it and it's always they and it's this really v- big re-
1: you know, vague them, they
0: right? um and you see you see the workings to try to create a leader from at least three different uh sources, sources.
1: um okay so i think i know what you're going but why do you think carrot would be such a bad king because in some ways he'd be a really excellent
0: king in some ways he'd be an excellent king he's not willing he's not willing enough like it's kind of what i went to before he's not willing enough to play favorites mm-hmm. he's trying to keep everybody happy all the time and that's something you can't do especially once you're in a position where you're actually having to rule that many people yeah this is the patrician rules not by keeping people happy but actually by keeping people pissed at each other but in an organized way. Mm-hmm
1: and not even so much pissed at each other as in pissed at him but yeah. it's more
0: it's better to have him around than uh,
1: him. I I really think it's an interesting way of looking at the patrician because before when we've seen patrician he, the patrician veterinary's been a really dark character especially in like guards guards he's a really cynical character and in this one you're seeing that he is cynical but he's kind of doing good through his cynicism like he's uh he is using his really dark view of human nature that he keeps getting proved right on to make things better for everyone overall like there's not you know nearly as much wild inequity even though there is still a ton of wild inequity but things are going overall upwards for everyone
0: Um, and I guess I just sort of saw it as I agree that I think Carrot would be overall better than not Mm -hmm. by, by a long shot he would set unfortunate precedent for bringing back in a monarchy, and there's no guarantee that the person after Carrot would be as uh, yeah. noble, uh, But which is part of the problem of Carrot. But the bigger problem is that through Carrot would unintentionally be very both sidesist. The way he treats Angua is the way that special interest groups would be treated in his kingdom.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, I can definitely see that. Uh, At this point, a major theme seems to be like, we have moved beyond kings, we don't need to come back to it. Mm -hmm. And Carrot believes it because Vimes believes it. That is, I think, another failure of Carrot's, although he does it in a way that works out because he's Carrot, is he is too willing
0: to look up to Vimes
1: some cases, I think.
0: I I see... I mean, I I see what you're getting at. I see it a little bit more as we're lucky that he ran into Vimes. I absolutely agree there. And I do like... Because I think Carrot could have been molded by someone else to much more devious ends.
1: Yeah. If someone, like... Let's be honest. If Dragon... If Dragon King of Arms, the vampire in this, had found Carrot instead, oh, things would have gone really, really badly. Mm -hmm. But having... Having someone to really force Carrot to think about, like... Uh, again, kind of what I was saying about the, the patrician, of using that cynicism to help people. He's taking the cynicism, but he's finding the good way to look at it and, like, really believing it. mm mm-hmm. um, it, It's lucky for both Vimes and Carrot that they have each other. Yeah. Uh, let's... Let's talk about the golems a little bit.
0: The golems were cool. I... I kept getting distracted by the fact that they had all, like, legit, like, uh, Jewish names. Yeah. um, Which, I mean, I thought was a cool reference to where the lore of golems originally come mm -hmm. from. But the fact that they named one Meshuggah, which is also the name of a really influential metal band. just was (laughs) a little distracting to you. Yes, I could see that. Uh,
1: This is, I believe, the first time that golems appear in the disc world, or if it's not the first time, it's the first time they get like a major story point. Mm -hmm. Usually when something like this of like, Oh, now it's the golems means that it's something that got mentioned in passing in an earlier disc novel that Pratchett went, you know, that would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Remember that thing like four, four books ago. I think I could make a book about that. Uh, So they might have appeared earlier than this. Golems are kind of droids from Star Wars. Yeah, in this in a lot of ways they are engineered to work. They don't have they don't have voices. They they make Vimes's kind of role and realization that he needs to speak for the voiceless extremely fucking literal. Yeah. In this, and something kinda... is going on with the golems is like one of the major plot points. But
0: well, in this book as a whole, almost is an extended version of um, that... God, what's the name of the the Star Trek episode we covered?
1: Measure of a Man. Yeah.
0: This like, book is kind are of Are they exten- people
1: or not? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a classic, usually science fiction trope, so it's kind of fun to see it brought into fantasy. Uh, I would be curious... To, I could be really overthinking this. I'd be curious to see what jewish fans think of the use of golems i've i've met a few i have a few jewish friends that are not a big fan of golems being used in fiction from non-jewish creators in kind of an appropriation kind of way
0: when well, i especially uh, wonder what I they would think no. of the outcome because of uh what Dorful ends up being the first one of mm-hmm. and how all that's used because so sorry guys it's hard to talk about these without i'm trying to think like do we want to give a up on
1: spoiling or not or i really
0: we've went this far okay we can from here this. on out <laughs> there might be spoilers okay how am i so dorful golems are basically ran on scripture mm-hmm they're ran on the word. It's the words in their head. It's analogous to a computer program, like you said. They're kind of just the droids. But when you like actually get bits of what it says on those scrolls in this, it's mostly it, scripture. It reads a lot more like. Well, something it's the holy old. words. They say yeah.
1: them a couple of times. They don't never say it's you know a Jewish faith, but just that ancient priests used to do it.
0: Um, and then he gets, but he gets the his idea own words is in his head. is that golems always have to have a master, which I think you could stretch to be problematic, but I think that also just fits within the lore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But he gets given his own words so that he's master of his words so that he's his own master and becomes the first ceramic atheist.
1: Pratchett's got a really interesting relationship with atheism and religion. Uh, And he was pretty careful, from what I can tell, to not really land on one side or the other which I think is infinitely more interesting when it comes to the religion versus atheism debate than being like no the other side is wrong mm-hmm. because one we don't know I mean, there, there is no way to know what happens I'm sorry my agnostic flag is flying really <laughs> strong here uh, there's there no way to really know until it happens so I I try not to disrespect either side on that front and people being like, religious people are dumb annoys me just as much as atheists are dumb and going to hell.
0: I'm and not it comes up a it, lot in Small yeah. Gods where he mm. did,
1: sorry, this is where I was trying to go and yeah. then I got distracted with, yay, agnosticism! <laughs> uh, is he wrote Small Gods, which is a heavy examination of religion and he talked about getting letters from both sides of the debate of atheism versus, you know, believing in a god. Mm-hmm. Being like, thank you, like, your book really, like, reinforce this side or reinforce this belief. And he's like I, it was like equal numbers too. Like both sides love it. So I could see... I did not in any way read this as like a denunciation of religion even though Dorfel kind of becomes an atheist. Uh, I, I would say he's... As much as an atheist as you can in a world where the gods are definitively real and definitively like show up and meddle? Right. He's kind of Sonya, right? I could see that. Yeah, Sonia from Dresden Files of like, I'm an atheist, but also I am God's agent. It's complicated.
0: Right. Um, I guess I'm not saying it's for sure problematic or for sure would be something that would piss people off, but with the way that character goes, I could understand if it did. Yeah, I think there's things within his story, though, too, that you could argue like... Um, it's the difference between simply being taught something and actually believing in something, because before the words were simply in his head, but Mm -hmm. he's allowed to keep on living because he took the words into his heart. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot
1: of... I really love the Dorful storyline. I I think it is a very... There's some very poignant
0: bits to it. The humanity Uh, aspect is mirrored with the fact that, like the humans are trying to do throughout the entire thing and this is where spoilers come in the golems also try to create a king yeah and and so way too many words in his head and they don't give him anything like they put too much expectations and he pops which kind of like what i was saying with carrot carrot would feel the need to hear everybody out it'd be too many words in his head
1: mm-hmm God, this book has layers. This is
0: more than... This is why I was like, how much do we want to stay away from, like, the spoilers? Because the the theming of it is a lot of, like, this is the problem with kings.
1: There is a big murder mystery in this one, which I will give you, towards the end, a very brief description of. And we're not going to go into that, really, because I do want you... I I
0: really enjoy... The way the mystery unfolds. Yes, and I don't want to spoil that for people. The way Uh, the story is told is brilliant. mm -hmm. Because... We're never, like, the audience as the audience, we're never given the entire picture. And it's not like we're given the entire picture and we're watching them gradually learn it. We're, like, three steps ahead of whatever character we're watching. Only because we have the information from all the characters as the, as the viewpoint switch. And even then, I didn't figure out
1: what it was. Like, it'd Until... be, it's really obvious afterwards. But once it's revealed, uh, d- 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 without spoils... Someone is poisoning the patrician, and they can't figure out how.
0: As someone who loves puns, I was so pissed that I didn't catch it.
1: I didn't catch any of the puns. I didn't, like, there's... Once I, like, got it, I was like, man, there really were so many hints. But I didn't see them.
0: And overall, I almost feel like Men at Arms had the better... The way the, the the police story interacted with the mystery was better. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the conclusion of this one ties up not just the murder mystery, but also the themes of the entire story.
1: I think that's why I said, you know, like, this isn't necessarily my favorite watchbook, but I do think it shows uh, a really significant growth in his writing Mm -hmm. from the last watchbook. I, I might actually like Men at Arms a little better, but I think...
0: Feet of Clay is a better written book. There was way more engaging action in Men at Arms. Yes. Uh, this one was a lot of walk and
1: talk. I'm a fan of walk and talk, I'm going to be honest with you. So, I mean, I is, watch Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, so. so you clearly also enjoyed the walk and talk. Um is this the book where they talk about Vimes' socioeconomic theory of boots, or was that no, the that last? Was book? That okay, universe. the boots thing comes up again in this, so I could never remember. Yeah. Of Vimes can feel the city from his boots, and part of his rebellion of, um, and it, 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 there is some subtext to it, but part of his rebellion of, I'm now a rich bitch, is refusing to have fancy boots. Like the entire last series, it was driving him nuts or last Mm -hmm. book, that he, you know, had to use shitty old boots with shitty old cardboard. And then now he has the nice boots and he's like, this is bullshit. I can't figure out anything because he's so used to the boots being so thin that he can feel where he's at in the city. Where he is at in the city of his cobbles. Um, And I think it's a kind of thinly veiled metaphor of Vimes needs the fact that he comes from the streets. He needs that street cred to do what he does. At this point, he he needs to be t- to be effective at his job. This person he's become, who has access to both parts of Ankh Morpork in a way that no one ever has before.
0: Mm-hmm. All of these different man. Have you ever watched The Wire? I think you'd like The Wire.
1: Um, I haven't watched The Wire. I
0: it's on my list of shows I should fucking get to someday. It reminds me of how that show very much shows the need to not just listen to orders from the Mm higher-ups. Vimes... Like, the patrician needs Vimes because Vimes isn't necessarily willing to listen to him or the streets all the time.
1: Yeah. Vimes will fight anyone who tells him to do a thing. And I think the patrician needs someone who will fight him.
0: Yeah. But that's the thing, like... Vimes isn't also necessarily always going to side with the people, though, because sometimes mm-hmm. he understands that the people are fucking dumb.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> what's that? There's, the, the, they're like you're you like the common man. And he's like the uh, the people. There's nothing special about them.
0: But he <laughs> understands that he needs to know the people to be able to make those calls instead of just listening to orders from up top or just. And he is the only person of
1: power who would ever really like. Foul old Ron shows up to him mm. and foul old Ron and he's just even Ron, like not shitty to him, not just what up weird old homeless man in a way that I don't you know, there's no way the patrician ever would have been able to like deal with foul old Ron. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's all the upper level people are underestimating vibes throughout this, you know Downey and uh, Mr. Boggi of the Thieves Guild. And everyone being like, he's a he's a jumped up lackey. He's whatever. And uh, it's Miss Molly of the Beggars Guild being like, you guys are underestimating fines. He's not a drunk anymore. Like, you have to take him seriously now. <laughs> you are not getting this and it's going to be funny for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the point. Pratchett talks about this, that He says, after a while with the watchbooks, and I bet this is the point, it becomes really difficult to set stories in Ankh-Morpork, because it uh, too quickly would become a watchbook. Because he'd be like, well, fuck, of course Vimes would be on this. So in a lot of later Ankh-Morpork books that weren't about the watch, they at least show up, and they have to, like, come up with a reason why Vimes isn't... Like, ass-deep in whatever trouble is going down.
0: Right. Because, yeah. Because even if he wouldn't necessarily be around, if something's big enough, the patrician would send him to be around.
1: Mm-hmm. Or Carrot would pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it helps that a lot, a lot of times they'll be like, there's the watch, but it's, you know, Detritus working on it. And I love Detritus. He's still dumb in this book. Do yeah. not get us wrong. <laughs> He's He has three questions. I know you what did it it was you, what did it, wasn't you, and everyone knows you did it, confess that you did it, or something like that, (laughs) and he just repeats them until someone's like, fine, yes, I did it, now tell me what I did. It's a funny joke. It's a little horrifying in the age where we're dealing with, like, lazy cops and police brutality, but...
0: Oh, shit. I also couldn't believe that at the end they had fucking Dorful, quote, RoboCop. That was the best thing. Or, <laughs> or kind of quote as was, as close as he could. What was it? It was something like, "You're uh, undead or alive. You're coming with me." Mm-hmm. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just really like this. Like this book made
1: me feel good. Well, and as I said, you know, I had, I had kind of a long week. Nothing that, n- nothing that matters to bring up here. But getting to escape to the disc always makes me feel good. And I appreciate that this was this is the first of them where they're actually acknowledging that the characters are good at their jobs. And sometimes it is really nice, like not just it's super easy for everyone, but sometimes it is nice to watch or read or ingest media in whatever way where the people are actually good at what they do. Yeah, it's fun to watch fuck ups, but sometimes it's just fulfilling in its own way
0: and that's a. everybody's trying to be as effective as they can throughout this.
1: Even Colin is like, man, I have to try,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: hard, but I have to try
0: uh anytime they're ineffective it's just because they're trying to figure things out on the fly and never like, ran into this. What is before. happening right yeah. now? How um, am I supposed to do this? It's my first day on the job.
1: Well, and it's interesting because we've you know, we we were seeing signs of like This is Vimes getting to do what he thought the city has needed. This is Mm -hmm. really Vimes almost getting free reign to do what he really thinks, what he's always said what the city needs. And part of this is figuring out, okay, I knew what it needed before. I didn't understand the how to do that. And figuring that out, he's like, you know, I know we need an alchemist. Right. But largely, I know I need an alchemist because I need an alchemist to tell me what I need an alchemist for. Like I don't even know what I need. I just know where I'm. What I'm missing.
0: I can't believe I almost forgot this. We Mad Arthur might be my favorite character. We Mad
1: Arthur is fucking amazing. <laughs> we Mad Arthur is a gnome, and gnomes in this one are real t- tiny. Tiny. They're like a few inches tall. They're think of the brownies from Willow, and you have the gnomes almost perfectly. Yeah. Except with like the Ant Man punching ability.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um...
1: We met Arthur fighting the bull is one of the funniest moments in this book. A bull gets loose, and this, like, three-inch crazy person who fights, who, who, like, he's an exterminator, but he does it by going in and punching everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or, like, yeah, um... Yeah, he goes and kills rats and shit mostly, but he'll work out deals for, like, cockroaches, and he also has, like, bee and hornet... Or bee rates, and then if they turn out to be hornets, there's an extra... Uh, but his solution for, like, taking out a hornet's nest... That was my favorite thing. They're like, oh, hornet's nest wouldn't be... You know, oh, how do you do the hornet's nest? He's like, oh, I got explosives. And like, well, that's not too sporty, <laughs> is <isn't> it? <laughs> and what did he say? Something like... You try
1: punching your way out, well, before the fuse goes off or something yeah. like that. Like... And... He he, for whatever reason, and they're like, we don't understand why, but he can hit like a normal person, mm-hmm. and it, you just learn after this that gnomes are all like this. Okay, they're all, I mean, we mad Arthur is extra crazy, but they're all just absolutely insane. They're all it's described as like all the character of a large person in a three inch body or something like that. What did he show up riding at the end? Uh, he rides birds a lot. Uh, he's riding a bull or no, He fights the bull. He's not riding the bull originally it might be a chicken,
0: right? Something um, like that. Like, he shows up, right?
1: <laughs> he tried to nut the bull and like uh, detritus is just watching being like, this is kind of amazing. <laughs> Everyone's scared of him and he the Rat Catchers Guild hates him because he refuses to sign up for the Rat Catchers Guild. And he undercharges them, so everyone's going to We Mad Arthur instead Mm -hmm. of the Rat Catchers. And the reason is, because he's so small, his cost of living is almost non-existent. You know, a dollar to buy a loaf of bread, and he's like, that loaf is gone at the end of the day for a person. It lasts him like a month, and he can sleep in it as a house as he, like, hollows out the inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anytime he orders a beer, since it comes in, like, a person-sized mug he has to put on, like, a swimming outfit in case he, for when he falls in. So he's just roaring drunk all the time. <laughs> we Mad Arthur is the chaos factor in this, that in some ways detritus or drunk vimes was yeah. in previous stories. Which is fine. I like having that. It's just
0: also fun to see it not be vimes. Oh, he was so fucking great. Oh, We Mad Arthur might have been my favorite part of this. I don't know how I almost skipped over him. Because
1: he's not a major plot point. He's just... He's just a fun time,
0: yeah. He's just
1: there to be the
0: commentary in some ways. I kind of mentioned it before, but just the glee that everybody who worked with the coat of arms had at puns just made me happy. (laughs) And they were the stupidest, dumbest little fucking things that they would work into those goddamn coat of arms. I love the... The fact that for all of the animals, uh,
1: oh, they actually, they actually have, actually the, have animals. the animals, and he's like, Why don't you just make them up? and they're just like deathly offended. And that was relatively true. A lot of times, coat of arms makers would really keep the animals so they could draw them, like, mm. they would not work from pictures. Which is sometimes for the best. Some of the weirder like depictions of animals that you get in medieval art was from people who were drawing from pictures and descriptions and had never seen an elephant before.
0: Um,
1: it is a little weird that the first and one of the only like LGBT expressions that we ever get is the implication that Keith and Roderick, the hippos, are gay. Oh, Yeah. And it's like kind of a funny joke, but then you think about it a little deeper, and it's one of those things of just where the world has moved on from necessarily where Pratchett was in. You
0: said this was what ninety six?
1: I was alive in ninety six. Shit's changed a lot on that front.
0: Yeah. Back to the more serious theming, real quick. I there was I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but there was a scene that really brilliantly showed. The fact that, uh, throughout the some of the different scenes we had been shown that knobs and the Udiscope were one in the same, theme wise. I never would have
1: picked that up. Jesus Christ, you read books so much more deeply than I do. <laughs> um, yeah, the Udiscope who lead people into the slaughterhouse, and without going deeper into it. People are trying to kind of use knobs to lead people into the slaughterhouse.
0: Oof. oof doof <laughs> to use the... Uh... This is why I liked this one so much.
1: Oh, it's so good. and
0: there Because is... it was really well aired.
1: Also, I just kind of love that Nobby and the goat are... Like, Nobby... Just even beyond that joke, that Nobby and a goat are kind of the same. Because goats are amazing, but they're kind of disgusting creatures of chaos. Mm-hmm. Both of these facts are 100% true. <laughs> I love goats, but they're the worst.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember how it was written, but there was there was a, a part that really clearly made the fact that those two were the same. I was like, oh, oh I see what you did there. I, I think it's the,
1: I'm not sure how it's written either, but there's a point later on a bunch of farm animals are fucking rampaging through the city. That's not really a plot, mm-hmm. like a, a big reveal spoiler plot revelation. And there's this moment where Nabi is just like, kind of depressed and smoking a cigarette while watching this all going on and, like, shares it with the goat next to him because he feels this, like, odd moment of feeling of his fellow man with the goat that also is hanging out in this corner being like, what's happening?
0: He passes it over the goat to take a drag and the the goat just eats it and he goes, yep, you and me, buddy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would hate Nabi so much in person, but there is something wonderful about Nabi to me as... (laughs) as the eternal kind of like unchanging piece of shit thief that in some ways is kind of the spirit of Ankh-Morpork, like no matter how much it grows and like stops being what it was in like color of magic, there's still knobby knobs who is kind of to to really keep that (laughs) in the same way that there's still cut me on throat dibbler, no matter what's going on, Cut Me own Throat Dibbler is going to be nearby, selling his disgusting, disgusting sausages.
0: He only popped up once in this,
1: I think. Barely in this one. Yeah. Uh, and same with death. Death appears, but very little. I think death only appears in that first scene.
0: Right, and, the, uh, and death of rats shows up really quickly, too. Mm.
1: It is some of the least death has ever used. It is a very excellent use of death of this person who is... An obsessive who's like so mad that he died, not because he died, but because there were these things he was trying to do, and like this is very inconvenient. He was trying, and Death being like, I don't know how to deal with you. (laughs) Like, what's the line? Uh, Death is by nature a somewhat obsessive personality, and he was coming to the realization that he was in the presence of the master. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even though we only had the briefest mention of Cut Me On Throat Dibbler. I did appreciate that towards the end there was a reference of whether they wanted their rats with ketchup or not. Mm -hmm. That had me fucking rolling. (laughs)
1: Uh, Or that dwarves think that uh, steak is poisonous. Mm -hmm. That you, it's unsafe to eat because like someone, someone's been poisoning rats, and he's like, uh, and they also find out at the same time that this same place that's had the poisoned rats. Has been uh, filling up their rat surprise, you know, rat being the major dwarf food, with bits of chicken and beef, and they were like, "How dare you?" <laughs> He's like, "Don't worry,
0: I don't do it on holiday occasions <laughs> like, and shit. Like <laughs>
1: only when I really have to, because I only use the best rats." And they're like, "Oh fuck." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Dwarven that shit culture funny. is so fascinating. Oh my god, I love that. Dude, battle bread, battle bread had me rolling.
1: As far as I know, that started as a throwaway joke from Witches Abroad. The dwarven bread never goes bad because you'll be like, well, at least there's the dwarven bread to eat, and then you don't want to eat it, so you just keep going anyways. Similar to that kind of... It was kind of making fun of Elvish bread from... um, Mm -hmm. Lambus bread from Lord of the Rings. But then it becomes this, like, it's so rock hard that it becomes an actual rock or, like, an actual weapon. And it's now battle bread culinary combat baking i why is there not a manga about this like there almost is with food wars but i want to see an actual yeah like shonen battle baking oh my god you and i need to somehow become rich so we can just start making comics together
0: yes battle bread all over the place (laughs)
1: we'll add this to our beautiful dr uh not dr uh uh adam strange versus hugo strange
0: yeah comic
1: not different comics not in the same comic but in our list of someday we will be comic geniuses it's gonna happen folks um (laughs) read this book yeah read this book like it's not my recommendation for the week but it's basically my recommendation for the <laughs> week. I mean, this entire one is please read this. Um, I really do want to see the watch. I've heard very middling reviews, but all of the reviews have been from hardcore disc, like being like, it's not a bad series. It's just not the best Discworld series. Like it, it's not mm-hmm. found that balance. And I'm curious. I, I continue to be curious. I continue to think they picked the perfect actor to play Vimes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, at least just visually. What uh, What is your recommendation? Are, are Are we done with the book? Yeah, I think we're done with the book. Okay, I already okay. I already went off on my MF Doom recommendation. So I had it.
1: I had it. I had it. I had it. I wrote. I I fucking made a link. Hold on, I can do this. Thank you, technology. I don't say that very often anymore. <laughs> uh, the Repair Shop on Netflix. Oh, it's a British show. It is kind of like Great British Bake Off in that like it's really relaxing and kind of feel good but you get to watch cool things get made and it's people bringing in antiques really amazing antiques in some cases you know uh, a, a 100 year old 200 year old like butter churn kind of mm. thing um, a uh, a like leather traveling case that's a century old that has literally traveled the world an old weird cane that had like a fake wooden monkey head on it. And if you press the button, like the monkey's mouth opens and the ears come open. Okay. But it's from like late 19th century. So it's like little wooden mechanic. Like it, it's, who knows how it's done. And these people repair it for free or like, you know, here's this 200 year old painting that's beat to shit. And like my son shot a dart nerf dart through it, but it's also a 200 year old painting. Mm-hmm. Fix it up. And the deal is people submit an item that they want to fix, a century old watch that escaped like a World War II prison camp, like cool shit. Mm -hmm. They will fix this up for free, but you have to agree that you're not selling it afterwards. Mm. So this isn't like, oh man, this got fixed on the repair shop and now I can sell it for like $10,000. This is, this is a family heirloom. Like the watch I mentioned. Yeah. It was... Survive Christopher Walken's ass. Yes, exactly. It was a watch that survived a Japanese prison camp. Okay. In China. Right. Which is a real bad place to be. Yes. And it is literally the only thing that his family had at the end of the prison. Like, it's mm. his great-grandmother sewed it into her shirt and kept it hidden doing stuff like that for, like, the four years that she was in a prison camp. Like, that's insane. Mo- any, most things would have been traded for, like, food or stolen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is literally the only piece of family history they have that predates this experience in World War Two. So it means so much to this person. And that's part of what's so... One, you just have these, like, calming British dudes and ladies... Being really excited to get to work on these amazing old things, and you know, there's leather workers and there's watchmakers and there's there's just every level of creative. But you also get to see the people get this thing back and being like, "Oh my god, like this is this is what I remember from my childhood," hmm. or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's feel good in an age when we need feel good. <laughs> that's that's really what it is. Oh yeah. And then yours is MF Doom. MF Doom. Um, so we will not have an episode next week because this is our last week of being weekly. We are going to bi-weekly after this. Uh, starting next week, we are recording the very first episode of Noob Island, our new podcast that we'll be launching probably about a month after that. We decided we wanted to be an episode or two ahead because it's not topical. We don't have a news program on it. So it's Okay. Mm -hmm. if
0: it it like but we need the time to work on it so that's why you guys and in
1: case something goes wrong we're not like oh crap now we don't have an episode for next week like it's fine but it I like to avoid that if possible Um, but in two weeks we will be back with Wonder Woman 84
0: woo and And
1: you have seen it and I do not know how I've I haven't seen it yet so we'll see what I feel about it but you're gonna say and Uh, don't we have a returning guest on it or has that not been worked out for sure? No, we were talking about possibly getting Tiffany to come on for this one, who was on our Digimon episode and was just lovely. We just absolutely loved it. So, so maybe. possibly <laughs> Tiffany coming back, if we can set that up. I'm sure she'd be excited. It's just a matter of getting it set getting up. up, set yeah. up. Uh, and also, in theory, the final bits of, uh, word Balloons, which we prom- we've we been promising for almost a year now. And we did... Uh, and we teased uh, like, like
0: eight weeks ago.
1: Yeah. like it, It's been a while. Sorry, guys. You guys all went through 2020, actually. You know what? I'm not that sorry. You understand what's been going on. Uh, but in theory, the final bits, the theme song was finished just before the holidays. And no editing got done on the holidays, especially because we don't pay Steven to do it. Um... <laughs> We would. We want to pay Steven to do it. We'll get there, guys. I did. Class solidarity. <laughs> but the the final touches just have to be put on. Our goal is to absolutely get it out before or at the same time as when we start New Island. A lot more stuff is coming, and it is at the point that I can
0: taste it. So I'm just so excited. I agree. I'm excited, too. There is one other thing that I realized I forgot to bring up about Feed to clay. Please! Had you ever heard of the expression Feet of Clay before?
1: I know it's an expression, but I'm not sure what it is off the top of my
0: head. Uh, Feet of Clay is an expression that is commonly used to refer to a weakness or character flaw, especially in people of prominence.
1: Interesting. And simultaneously, it's not when it comes to Doorful. (laughs) Like, Huh. God, Pratchett's an interesting guy, which is why we have now done four, ep- five episodes involving Terry Pratchett properties in a year. Woo! <laughs> Terry Pratchett podcast. Yeah! Yes. Oh, God, I would.
0: Pratchett if I wasn't working Pratchett on... Pratchett and Star Wars. <laughs> Pratchett Wars. Star Pratchett. Star also, also known as Tardigrades on the Moon. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Stop giving me podcast ideas. I'm working on five podcasts at this point. We'll get
0: Uh, (laughs) there. So I'm a tardigrade.
1: (laughs) And uh, I'm Zach.
0: (laughs) Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe, however, you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us, however, you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it as the whole world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Ear Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows, we're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.